You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. If you haven't heard, the Earth Consultants podcast, which was located at LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org, is going to be changing names now to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast to be a little bit more encompassing of other sustainability efforts that I'm working on. In this podcast, I share a presentation I gave at Rose Holman Institute of Technology based in Terre Haute, Indiana. I had met Dr. Diane Evans, who was running a uh, engineering management program at uh, IISE conference, which I've talked about in the past. Um, I had actually gone and tabled at that conference to talk about this Lean Six Sigma for Good efforts and about volunteering and we hit it off and she is also there presenting a, uh, a Six Sigma project on how she's helped reduce food waste in the cafeterias at Rose Holman. So she reached out and said she's doing a seminar on um, Lean Six Sigma for Good and wanted me to come speak so I had the pleasure of coming out there and giving a talk and basically I was trying to share some experiences I've had applying Lean and Six Sigma methodology to nonprofits and sustainable businesses and other volunteer work that I've done. Later in that day, we actually uh, had some a speaker come in from a local nonprofit to talk about some improvement projects she was looking at for her organization. And we also did a tour of the campus mail room and tried to help uh, students identify opportunities and waste in that process, and then help them ultimately to try to pick a project that they could run um, in the next sem uh, semester class that they could do a basically a Lean or Six Sigma project. So it was really cool to see the program that she's putting together on campus there, and I was really uh, honored to be part of that initial effort and maybe hope to continue to support in any way possible with their efforts. I think there's um, a really big opportunity here to connect students with uh, working professionals with nonprofits that need help. I've got a report that was put together by Royal Roads University up in Victoria, British Columbia, that laid out a plan very similar to that. And so I think this is um, gonna be a way to kind of scale up this uh, ability to give students experience to give working professionals an opportunity to give back, but may not be, be able to go in and do the hands-on work, and for the nonprofits to get uh, the help they need in terms of process improvement that maybe they don't have the resources or the expertise yet um, to apply it themselves, especially when they're doing such great work, and we just want to make sure they're doing it as efficiently and as, as productive as possible. So all this is kind of tying together into a really cool initiative and so if you'd like to learn more about that, please go to the LeanSixSigmaForGood.com website and you can reach me through there. Uh, the LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org website is still going to stay up. I'm going to keep them separated, as I mentioned in my last podcast. I want to make the effort kind of be a hub around the Lean Six Sigma for Good and then have a spinoff and continue to keep that site that is purely dedicated for those who are looking for environmental improvements. And again, that's still a big passion of mine. Uh, but there is a lot of activity happening now with uh, general nonprofit work, uh, not-for-profit work, government agencies, uh, school systems like at Rose Holman, um, etc. So hope you enjoy the presentation. There's also a video that will be available and posted on the Lean Six Sigma for Good website. 
also on the Lean Six Sigma Environment.org website. So you can check out uh, the slides and see me speaking if you're uh, curious about that. Thanks for listening, and please share if you have if you know someone else who might be interested in and in listening to this. Thanks. So anyway, thank you for coming. Um, so I brought a, a great speaker. I met Brian, um, I think like two or three years ago. I was doing uh, a presentation at a Six Sigma conference, and the presentation was a project I had done with St. Pat's uh, K through eight school. Um, St. Pat's is a private school, and. Uh, we were trying to add food share or food rescue tables there, so that's when if a, if a kid finishes his lunch and he has an extra milk or banana or orange, something he hasn't touched, he can leave it at the table and then another student that wants it can pick it up. So it helps to reduce some of the hunger maybe that some children are experiencing in the afternoon or when they go home. Um, but the, the, the true reason we wanted to do this was to get it in the public schools. The public schools wouldn't let us do this because they were worried about the risk of what if um, we sat out a piece of food, another student, student ate it and got sick, then they'd be liable. So um, after we did the project and we <coughs> took um, the results to um, the Vigo County School Board and showed them how much we improved, just. In a year alone, it was like 20,000 meals that one of the public elementary schools saved when they went ahead and instituted it the next year. So the following year, they let three schools in Terre Haute try it more um, in, in places where 98% of the, the students were getting free or reduced lunches. So that's where we wanted the share tables to go. And when you see how many things are just being thrown away, like a, a banana never opened, just straight in the trash, that's kind of what instituted our thought on that. So I've done a lot of Six Sigma projects here, um, and I just thought a lot, I don't think a lot of people even realize that there's been projects going on here on, on campus. So I just thought I would highlight those for a few minutes before I let Ryan take over. So the very first project we did here was um, a food waste project. That's when we didn't have Bon Appetit, it was Aramark. Um, a lot of students did not care for the food there. So what we were trying to do is when a student, you can kind of see some trays with food, when they brought their food up, we actually scraped the food into buckets and then we weighed the buckets to try to figure out um, during the lunch period, on average, how much per person was being wasted. And we counted anything that could be edible. So if they had something on their plate that could have been eaten, that's what we kind of put in there. Um, there were mistakes, there were problems, but eventually um, it worked out, it became a big project, and we were pretty happy. Um, going back to that for a second, we are not, the group that got rid of the trays. I always have to say that because everyone's like, you're the one that took away the trays. Like, no, it wasn't, but they happened soon after. So, um, And this, the second time around, we didn't scrape in the cans. We put them in the Ziploc bags, the waste, and then we would weigh, weigh these bags. But that, that picture itself is a real visual of like how much was coming off of each student's tray. Um, so it was, it was a good project. We did one behind Whitechapel. There's an invasive plant called um, a honeysuckle. It takes over, it just grows, and uh, it doesn't let other things breathe and live. So we did a project where we were trying different tools, different areas, different um, standard operating procedures <coughs> to remove these plants and do it in an efficient way. Um, 
it's kind of blurry, but the big one that we did for a couple years was the recycling program. So you'll see over in the academic buildings um, that that set of three, um, two of them are um, ones for paper, ones for plastic, and ones for trash. But that setup, we tried to put every. Actually, we did a, a, a spaghetti diagram and tried to put one equally spaced throughout the campus. So if you left class and you had something recycled, you didn't have to go all the way to Munch Cafe, which was the only place that had recycling. They had six bins, and they were so specific you couldn't figure out <coughs> where to put a paper. I mean, it was so. Anyway, we we spread these out all over campus, and uh, I don't know how I got my students to take data, but every day after classes, they go around with these grabbers and take out everything that could have been recycled, and they put it in a bag, and then we weigh their bags. Um, there were 15 different areas, like Crapo 1, Crapo 2, Myers, and so then we had data from each of these areas. For a very exciting field trip, we went to a landfill, um, so that was one of the, I mean, it's pretty ominous when you actually go there and see it. Um, I tried to do a recycling day where after the weekend, we took all the trash from the dorms and then we were going through it to see how much. There is no way, I, I mean, we got through a, a couple hundred bags. I had no idea how much we generate over a weekend. It comes also from fraternities and sororities, so you could see mm -hmm. um, pizza party, you know, maybe some pizza party with a little beer or a little bit of entertainment. But yeah, there was a lot that could be recycled there. Um, and for the recycling project, one of them was just to make that, that standard setup everywhere. Um, we tried to make the like nice pictures so people could look and know instead of having to read a lot of stuff. Um, so the standardization, I think, really helped. And uh, they still are hanging a lot. Um, they have started to fall all throughout campus. Some of these signs are coming down. Um, the problem with my class is doing a recycling project here is once they're done, it's hard to sustain them because I can't go check, you know, before I leave every day, go check trash. So I just hope um, in good faith that some of it has improved, but I haven't taken data for uh, probably five years on this. So um, another one, we tried to reduce hand towel waste in Crapo. So Crapo put in those new hand dryers that you could do like that. So we were trying to encourage people to not take um, the hand towels so we collected a bunch of uh, data before and then after. One of our solutions that really didn't work very well was um, we bought these, they're called people towels. So you carry them with you all day and anytime you need to dry your hands, you have them in your bag. Um, so we sat some of these out and we bought a bunch of towels to sit out and it just never really, I mean it is kind of, I thought myself even though I'm a little girl, it's like you're carrying this around all day and you keep pulling it out. And, students sometimes don't wash them for a week or so, <laughs> including professors, that then, and then they just get really dirty, but so we bought a bunch of these. I bought these because they had elephants, so I thought then people would be like, oh, I'll, I'll carry that, but um, yeah, so these are pictures from the restroom. We did some good advertising. Um, the big one you probably know if you've been here is the straw one, so in all the locations here, they were using um, paper straws, Sorry, that's plastic straws, which are not biodegradable. I mean, they're so small, even if you recycle them, they slip through the machines. So we were, we to go appetit, but we're trying to get um, biodegradable straws. And in fact, now, 
um, Bon Appetit in their cafeteria just uses the biodegradable straws. Um, but we, we put um, alternatives at all of the coffee shops to see if people would choose them, and they would. Um, it's about not even a cent more to add biodegradable straws, so we did some surveys asking people if they would mind the extra cost. Um, for door prizes, for different, they could take a Snapchat challenge and send us a picture of them using um, our biodegradable straws and they could win metal straws or bamboo straws or glass. Um, so we had all kinds of straws. I still have at home there, it's kind of cool. Um, so that was a good one. And this is the last one we did over at um, St. Pat's. So the cool thing is our students were working with their students. We kind of combined with the fifth grade class to do this, um, the food share idea. So we made some posters. But the idea is you have something sitting there like uh, with ice for milk so kids that didn't drink their milk, they sit it in there. You probably wonder why they have it. They are required by state to have so many things on their plate. Every student has to have a milk. They have to have at least one fruit or one vegetable. So we were trying to remind them, like, you don't need to take both. But it's kind of like that system when you hear the person in front of you say, oh, I just want everything. And then you just say, I just want everything. And I mean, they're first graders, some, or second graders. So it's like peer pressure. They got everything. I'll get everything, you know. So, but I mean, whole bananas were being thrown away, whole pieces of pizza, whole things such as grapes and milk and everything like that. We set up a very, I think, efficient system with a little bit of lean of when students brought up their trays, um, how we were going to separate and dump milk in here and measure individual milk cans. And then we had a thing for fruits and vegetables. And we could kind of show how much we were saving after we put the food share table into place. So um, that's pretty much it. And I just, so we are doing um, Six Sigma projects here. It's very hard to do a whole project in a 10-week quarter. I used to try to do both the instruction and the project and either one of the two suffered. So um, when I moved to engineering management, I was very thankful that I got to add a class that is the, the project class that runs in the spring. So once you already know all the tools, the gauge R&R, the process map, all that kind of stuff, then we can move into the spring and just do a project. But you'll use all those tools and I can say, go do an attribute agreement, and you'll go, oh yeah, I get, I get what that means. So so anyway, that's, that's my interest and I've always wanted to do projects that, that matter, um, it, it's hard. And it's hard to get permission from the process owners, the people that own the process. A lot of people don't want change. They don't want you to come in. They don't want you to look at their data. They think you're trying to come in and criticize. So it's hard to get things started. So at this conference that I presented that last talk, I met Brian, um, and he had a table set up for his book. He had a book called Six Sigma for Good. And it seemed like, wow, that kind of overlaps what I'm trying to do. And so I was really excited when I when I decided I want to do this. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I decided, but when I was told I'm going to do the seminar, I was like, well, this is perfect. I'm going to do Six Sigma, and I want to do Six Sigma for good. And so he had the book and the audio, and I thought that would be a great person to bring in. So let me tell you a little bit about Brian's background. He is a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. Uh, he owns the company Business Performance Improvements in Portland, Oregon. So he's pretty much a full-time consultant, teacher, facilitator of Six Sigma projects across, I mean, the states. And um, he went to the University of Iowa. I can tell you that because we have another Amir from there. And 
yeah, his whole series, I haven't read the next one, the Gemba, but there's other books he's have. His website has a wealth of information about doing projects, and that's one thing I need a lot of help with, I think, to figure out how, how do you start these, how do you get buy-in, how do you let people welcome you in to try to improve their system. So, so welcome, Brian, for coming up. Oh, yeah. Appreciate you. I lied. I told him I would take five minutes. You all know that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I try so hard. <laughs> These projects are exciting, so yeah, yeah you want to share. That's that's the fun part. I mean, I get excited to hear these uh, different projects and improvements that are going on. So uh, that's what I like about the work I do is just get to go in and help people make things better. So it's uh, super fun. Um, so that's I want to just cover just a little bit of background. Um, I want to go through just kind of how I view this kind of Lean Six Sigma for Good um, methodology. Just run through a bunch of different examples of things. Hopefully you get the wheel spinning in your head around things that you could do or things you could try out and test and maybe make improvements to and everything that you interact with. And that's really the idea is how do you apply all this great learning uh, to something meaningful like Dr. Evans talked about. And that's what I, you know, want to be doing. At the end of the day, you know, we have a limited time in this world, so I want to be able to say, we, you know, something's better as a result of, of the work that you do, right? So that's what drives me. So I just want to go through a bunch of different examples of things, just to try to get you thinking about different ways to apply these concepts. Uh, just a quick background. I have a statistics background. That's how I got into the Six Sigma world. Is uh, I started working at aerospace company. <laughs> <laughs> and I've started to bring in some of the Six Sigma methods. Uh, they were also going through a lean methodology at the time, so I started learning lean through the program that they already had in place. And I didn't really know much about it starting off. And so over the last 18 years that I worked there, um, I was learning both of these methods, or bringing in the me one method and learning the other. So I think there's really good overlap between the two methodologies. Um, I got really into the environment about 10 years ago. I started realizing the kind of problems we're having and climate change and things like that. And made the connection that, hey, I got the training and the things I'm doing at work is very similar, just different data set, right? I can use the same approach. And so I did a lot of research and tried to find all the stuff out there working around Lean and Six Sigma applied to environmental problems. That kind of brought me into sustainability and did some classes around sustainability. Started doing some stuff at, at work I'll talk about those. Got involved in nonprofits. So I'll talk about some of those examples. Uh, I ended up moving to Portland because I thought that'd be a cool place to live. A lot of good sustainability environmental programs going on. I want to be in the center of, of that activity. And I started consulting two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, so this is my consulting business. And I really tried to set it up as this kind of triple bottom line approach of profits, people, and planet. And I think the Food waste is a great example of that, right? They're saving money by not having to, you know, by retaining a lot of the food, or maybe if people can go back for seconds, they don't have to because there's a, an extra banana or pear laying around. Um, it's also good because you don't want people to go home hungry, and that suffers and that hurts their education and their uh, retention of, of information. Uh, and it keeps things out of the landfill, which has methane emissions and greenhouse gases. 
So it's a win-win-win all the way around. And those are the types of projects that get me excited. Uh, there's bigger initiatives going on, like sustainable development goals. How many of you have heard of the sustainable development goals? Raise your hand. Some of you? Okay. So these are like global goals that uh, countries are trying to strive for. So when I think about improvements I'm making, do I, what one of these 17 goals does this align into? You know, uh, clean energy and reducing hunger and equality, uh, uh, clean water. Uh, so there's big challenges going on, but that's daunting to think about. So I think about what can I do locally? And so uh, the Multnomah County, which Portland is part of, has put together a climate action plan. And so in there they list out different activities and things that they're trying to do. So I try to look at both of those lists and say, how are the projects I'm working on tied into those bigger challenges? but at a level that I can actually do something about, right? Because it is kind of daunting at times. Uh, so I went through the B Corporation certification. How many of you have heard of B Corporation? A few of you, okay. Just basically saying, I'm trying to do business in a way that is uh, holistic and good all the way around. And looking at my volunteer work, my donations to nonprofits, my volunteer activities, uh, and just trying to not be so focused on where most companies are is how do I make the most profit? And that's not motivating for me. And 1% of the, for the planet is another program that says you will donate 1% of all your sales to a nonprofit organization. So there's organizations, Patagonia is one that helps set that up. So you'll see that label on some things. So that just says, I'm interested in working with businesses who care about these types of things. I want them to be successful. Um, I'm assuming there's some background with Lean and Six Sigma. How many of you are, have learned about Lean, specifically Lean methods, and then Six Sigma methods? More people? Okay. So real quick, uh, Lean is another term that was used to describe the Toyota production system back in the late 1980s. And so for three decades now, this has been rolled out, and it's still slowly getting rolled out. Some of the groups I talked to have never heard of some of these techniques. So it's still new. Um, it was developed after World War II. We sent, the US sent people over to Japan to teach them some of the quality methods. And then they took it, kind of ran with it. And all of a sudden they started beating the automakers in the late 70s, early 80s. People were like, what's going on? Why are people buying these Japanese cars? That used to be kind of a joke. Now they're better quality and, and better reliability and less uh, costly and they're uh, fuel efficient. Uh, so, but the principles go back to Henry Ford and Frederick Taylor and the Gilbreths. And so these aren't brand new methods, it's just kind of packaging up for uh, modern business. And so manufacturers got on board really early, but now we're seeing this in healthcare. We're seeing it in government work. And it's starting to expand out because everyone has processes and everyone has stakeholders or customers. So these methods apply. And then Six Sigma, you've learned about that. That was kind of the response to the lean movement or the uh, Toyota's uh, success was what we need to step up our quality game and so much more on the statistics and there's a belt certification to kind of keep track of where people are at with knowledge and experience a lot of tie to the financial costs uh, and GE kind of popularized that method because they were they claimed to save billions of dollars for the organization with Six Sigma so it's through success that it's really taken off but it even goes back to a lot of these go back to the heart of what Dr. Deming teaches back in the 1940s, 50s, and his work in Japan, um, and Joseph Duran. So uh, again, not new techniques or tools, but how do you bring them into a business setting and apply them? And then not just manufacturers, 
how do you get it into every type of organization. So within each of these, there's uh, what we're looking for in process improvement is where is the waste and inefficiency in the process? And so there's different uh, types of waste that get identified when you overproduce something, when you have inventory, when you have defects, when you transport or have a lot of motion, that's wasting time from getting something to your end customer. And with those come environmental impacts. When you have inventory, that means you need more building space, and that means you gotta heat, cool, and light the space, and that uses energy, right? So if we can cut down the amount of inventory we need, we don't need this big a building, or we don't have to expand our building and build uh, and construct with new materials, right? and the energy and the carbon that goes along with that. So each of these, when we make efficiency improvements, naturally we actually reduce our environmental impact as well. So that's kind of a, um, just a, a nice benefit there, a side benefit, but that's not often the, usually the companies are going after these main issues and they're not really realizing that they can have a good positive impact on the environment. So I'm trying to get organizations to realize that they can go and help this and help their business as well. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. So I want to break this into a couple different categories. I want to look at where the impact I might be having or trying to have an impact on, either on the environmental standpoint or just like community, um, social good, community services, um, that type of, of world. And then whether I was doing this as part of my paid job or is this as volunteer or personal time. So four different buckets. So let's start with the first one, uh, environmental activities going on at work. I mentioned I worked at an aerospace company, and so when I started getting in, into the environmental piece, I said, we should probably have a green team. So I set up a green team. No one said I should or said, you need to do this. I just, I'm just going to set this up to see if anyone shows up. Um, and so that is something that you could do if you uh, end up getting a job somewhere. You can say, this is something important to me. I want to see if other people in my company are also interested in that topic. Just set up a meeting or talk to a couple people. Say, hey, do you want to get together over lunch? Talk about what we can do as employees to uh, you know, put in recycling in our cafeteria or put a compost bin out there. What would that take? Uh, we also have these green bag sessions where we have people, employees come in and talk about things that they're doing. How do they get to work by bike? How are they... Uh, traveling two hours on a bus to get here? And what's their route look like? Um, and so people would just educate other employees about what they're doing from a sustainability standpoint or how they're greening their lifestyle. And that's really powerful to hear peer-to-peer -peer or coworker-to-coworker -coworker discussions. So we called that the green bag session instead of a brown bag session. Uh, we had an Earth Day Fair. We brought in organizations and nonprofits and had employees come through and learn about different things. So we're not posing it on them, just giving them an opportunity to learn over their lunch hour. Uh, so we did a couple of those sessions. Then the local county had a sustainability program. So we followed their criteria and went through that and assessed ourselves and got to the top level for the sustainability and got awards for that. And we got recognition. They put our name in the paper and they wrote articles <coughs> about us. I mean, that's free publicity for the organization. And so that's a, that's a benefit for them. It's marketing and branding that they didn't even think about or realize. But we also addressed some of, uh, you know, we got some good infrastructure going for greening our uh, cleaning supplies, stuff like that. 
So it was a really good checklist as a starting point for our organization. Uh, and then I want to talk about two projects I did specifically. So the first one was we were trying to lean out our manufacturing floor. And what you notice here in the before picture is there's a lot of carts. And they cart everything around in, 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 um, in the building. And they're just uh, all over the place and actually getting in the way. And it was a safety issue. And it was just uh, cluttering this place. So it looked just over, it was just busy and, and messy and disorganized. So we were, as we were streamlining our process, we started to realize we don't need that many carts. If we control how much work is being done in the process and not overproduce, uh, we only need 30 carts instead of 50 carts. What happens to turn out that they were going to replace all those carts anyways because they didn't have the right uh, electrostatic issues with them. Um, so they had a purchase order out there for 52 carts. And so when we finished our lean efforts, we came back and said, actually, we don't need 52, only order 30, which is still a lot of carts. But uh, so right there, we saved 20 carts from being purchased. So we saved money. And the material and all the energy that went into making those 20 carts, maybe can go to somebody else. So we're cutting down the environmental part of that. I think it was like 500 bucks a cart. So this is not uh, cheap carts. So just by doing some lean improvements, we actually had a, a good positive impact on the environment, too. Also did an electricity reduction project. This is where I used some more Six Sigma methods. Um, and this is a challenge because when we, we had, the building was like a million square feet, which is huge. It's like a whole city block. And so we did some regression modeling and found that temperature is the driver, of course. And that makes sense. This is in Iowa. So you guys have a very similar time here. It's very dependent on the outside temperature. And you could say, well, that's nothing we can do. We can't do anything about that. Um, but the question is, what is affected inside the building by the temperature? What's well, the heating and cooling system? So as we dug into that a little deeper, we started realizing uh, they run this uh, heating and cooling 24-7 over, overnight, over the weekend, in case an employee comes in and needs a comfortable work environment. So we pushed back on that and we collected data and we got some feedback from a, a pilot group that said, here are the actual times when they're swiping their badge in and out. It's not as often as they said they were coming in and out. You know, oh, we come in on the weekend all the time. Well, not according to the badge swipe data, you're not. <laughs> so we tried to get some real data versus just what anecdotally people are saying. So with that, we also did, we actually walked around and found all 50, 55 substations in the building and we went around and took samples manually off each station it said it's two o'clock it's station number 12 they have 174 kilowatts being pulled right now and we gathered that data and that also pointed us to this HVAC as the source of the most of the energy being pulled at any snapshot in time so with all those different pieces we were able to get some buy-in that there's opportunity to cut back energy and we also to deal with the change management part of that, they had already bought some override buttons, but we, they hadn't got them installed because it would cost like $50,000 to install them from labor. So they already had the materials, but they didn't have the approval to do the, the labor part of it. But when we showed them the data in our pilot study, just like Dr. Evans was talking about, the pilot at the, at the private school, um, that was the data we needed to be able to uh, show that this is going to pay for itself. That $50,000 is going to turn into $300,000 in savings. Just like that, it got approved because we have the data to do that. 
the idea was already there. They had already come up with the idea, but they couldn't get any further without that data. Um, so that was a huge um, reduction of energy. So in a, in a personal life, um, as part of my sustainability project, I kicked off a project at the local stadium. I was trying to increase the recycling going on at the stadium. And so the data was very poor. All we had is one data point. We had one game in the previous season where they had collected data on how much diversion they had. Basically, they, they measured how much total trash was generated and how much went into recycling. And they were at 25%. So not a good sample size, of course, but it's, I'll say I'll take one data point over no data points. So in, in, in analysis, you kind of take what you can get. Uh, so any data is better than none, and I'll take five data points over three. But uh, so you do what you can. Uh, and so we worked through some efforts to try to improve that, and we came up with some simple improvements. But really, the methodology of DMAIC was what really helped sell this project. Got the stakeholders involved early, from facilities to security to athletic department. And we talked about this problem. I wanted to say, I don't want to go down this path if I don't have support there. I mean, I'd love to do this project, but I also don't want to waste my time. And so that structure of define, measure um, early on really helped get the buy-in for that project. If you don't do that, you get down here and you have these great ideas, but nobody is really excited about implementing them, it's gonna go nowhere. So I think that was really more the powerful piece of it. It wasn't the analysis so much, it was really the structure of defining out the problem at the beginning. So what we ended up doing is putting in some bins and making it more accessible for the fans and then doing some other stuff on the back end with the students who were cleaning up the stadium. Uh, the other thing we did is a waste order. So we actually took one game and we pulled about 50 trash bags and went through it all and sorted it all out manually. It was messy, it was gross, but it was uh, very eye-opening, especially for the students who, who um, really kind of saw the impact. I think you talked about that earlier. And this is part of the lean method, is really get your hands in there and see what's going on in the process. And it's really eye-opening for employees and people it's like they don't really understand the problem until they really get into the details. And it's like really powerful. So, um, so we got it up to 50%. So it's not maybe as high as we would like to get it, but it's an improvement. And this is the continuous improvement mindset. Just keep getting better and better every year. Cool part is this has actually sustained itself for uh, through the last season. So we found a fraternity that took over some of the coordination of the volunteers. Um, They've done some marketing campaigns. We went the, uh, in 2012 when we did the project. I wanted uh, an advertisement on the billboard or on the you know the scoreboard. Didn't happen. And I finally fall, saw last fall that there was an ad that went up on the on the scoreboard finally. So it took seven years for it to happen, but uh, it's still going strong. And so that that to me is really exciting that it's maintained and sustained. Because that's another really challenging part is how do you keep the signs from falling down and how do you keep the adherence to that process and keep it going and momentum that can be a really challenge for improvements. Also just decided uh, I met somebody who um, there's an Indiegogo campaign for a wallet manufacturer in Koshrai which is in Micronesia. Does anyone know where Micronesia or heard of Micronesia before? Federated States of Micronesia. 
I heard a little bit about it through a sustainability course because I was looking at, we had to do a report on countries and this popped up and I'm like, what? I see this on the drop down menu when you look for states. It's actually part of the US, so if you go through sometimes on drop downs, you'll see Federated States and Micronesia. I thought it was like a joke that somebody put in there. But it's actually located, it's like a series of islands in the middle of nowhere. And they were making wallets. And um, I said, I'd love to go visit there. That looks really cool. And I bet nobody has been there. <laughs> they don't they get like a thousand visitors a year. Um, so literally no one goes there to visit. Um, but it's beautiful and it's, um, but so they make wallets and they make them out of banana fiber. So they take trees that have uh, had their harvest, <coughs> banana trees, but they just sit in the, in the farms and usually the farmers burn them to get them out of the way. Um, so they said, well, let's grab those and let's harvest them and turn them into a paper. And then they can actually, the paper's strong enough that's a wallet, it can turn into a wallet. Those of you got a business card, that is the banana fiber. So they made those business cards. And so they have a zero waste operation. Um, they use old coconut husks to um, produce the, let's see, what was the husk for? I think to cook, they had to cook the fibers and loosen them up. And so really cool operation. And so I got a chance this summer to go and I spent uh, five weeks on the island. And I just volunteered my time because I wanted to go there. And, they, and I said, do you want some help with like your operations? And they're like, desperately, yeah. I just kind of set up this business. I, I'm not really a business operator, kind of learning on the fly. So if you can come give me some consulting help, uh, I got a place for you to stay. So I was like, that sounds like a great deal. Um, so it was really a cool experience. What they struggled with was attendance and productivity. And so using data, we started to collect the data. And so every, uh, every four hours, I would go and grab all the time cards and type them into a spreadsheet and look at how many wallets they produced. And depending on the size of the wallet, I would give them different points or credits for that. They're trying to come up with a way to measure productivity to see is there differences between the different sewers and how are things going and where are the problems at in the operations. And the other thing was looking at attendance and saying, how do we improve the attendance? Who's doing well with attendance? Who's showing up all the time and who isn't showing up? And can we understand the root of the issues? Is it a transportation problem? Is it issues going on at home that they uh, prioritize that over coming to work? Is it that they have enough money and they don't want to work the rest of the month? You know, so trying to get into some of the heart of the issues behind that. Uh, so just trying to get at the data and then start to track that data. So nothing real complicated, but just giving the owner some visibility to uh, what's going on in the operations and starting to look at it more from a statistical man standpoint and a charting standpoint. Uh, so that was kind of the, we did a lot of different things, but that was kind of the, the guts of what I spent a lot of time on, just trying to understand that productivity and look for opportunities to, to take out time in the operation. As a, uh, because of that recycling project, when I, went, went, uh, when I came out to Portland, I got involved with a nonprofit around recycling. And um, the campaign that we put together was called Bring Your Own Cup. Portland loves their coffee. Uh, they've got coffee shops uh, about every block. I think we counted like 300 coffee shops in Portland. It's, it's a little overkill. Uh, but they all thrive because that's, uh, people just like their so we said, well, let's go after that as from an environmental standpoint. And I've never really got involved with a nonprofit. I was going in pretty blind. Um, 
So I got in right when they were starting this campaign, so I kind of took over and started to run that. And one thing I tried to do is apply lean startup methods to that. It says, before we invest a lot of money in graphics and messaging and print up a bunch of materials and take them to coffee shops and say, can you hand these out? Maybe we should go talk to them first and find out what they want. And so there were some interviews going on and we, t and we took some rough drafts and some sketches and said, is this something you would put up in your store? Because if you can't get through that part of it, everything we would have done would have been a total waste. This is not a, a big nonprofit, so we don't have a lot of money to work with. And the supplies cost money. And so the worst thing we could have done is printed up something, take them to the shop and say, can you guys hand these out? And they're like, no, we don't like the messaging or the logo or the branding, or we want to do our own thing. And now we're out of money and we're not even making a difference. So I mean, startup says, go to your customers and talk to them first and give them something very minor or minimal and get feedback immediately before you spend any kind of effort or money on your solution. These are just solutions and ideas at this point. So luckily we got some pretty good response about our bring your own cup campaign. But we did find some interesting things. We we're gonna make these tripods or like trifolds and put them on the, on the tables. And we're ready to print up a bunch of those and we're like, well, let's, let's see if the shops like that. And they hated those. They're like, do not put anything on the coffee tables. People bring their laptops, they want the full space of the table, and then every night we put the chairs up and we don't want to be taking these things off and on and off all the time. So that was awesome feedback to hear before we wasted a bunch of money and effort on making these trifles. We thought it was a great idea, but our end users did not. So that's the, the, my, the startup uh, mindset. Also, I, we put, up, uh, put together a zero waste conference and um, we've got videos on the Recycling Advocates website if you're interested in zero waste. We have different speakers talking about different topics. But um, in Six Sigma, we talk about the FMEA tool and how do we mitigate risk. And so for a conference, I was really concerned. I never put on a conference before. So I tried to walk through, okay, if I was an attendee, what would I do? Well, I need to get to the conference. How do I get there? Do we have directions on the website? Do we have bus routes listed? Um, when I park, where do I park at when I get there? <coughs> where do I walk when I come into the building? Um, how do I navigate into the building correctly? Um, then when they get there, okay, what if they, we have a place for restrooms? Do we have signs for where the restrooms are at? Do they have something to drink? Should we have water available? Um, and this is tricky with a zero waste conference, right? Because you don't want to provide anything because it's a really tough crowd. So anything that's handouts or napkins or plastic straws, that's that's not going to go over well. So we really have to think about how do we do this in a very sustainable way. We basically tried to use some kind of a simpler version of an FMEA. It didn't go through and score it all out with severity occurrence and detection and RPN scores. Uh, but it just walked through the whole process and said, what can go wrong? What can fail? And have we thought about that and mitigate that in some way? And I feel like that really helped. It, it went off really smoothly. I think we only had one or two small issues, but uh, I think that mindset around risk management was really good to make it a successful event. So I tried to apply some lean and six sigma to that uh, process. In the community side of it, if you are work at a company, there are some great companies that actually give you time to go do volunteer work. Some people don't even know that. They work at the companies that I have no idea that they'll give me time to go volunteer and get paid for that time. So I'm trying to encourage people, if you work somewhere, go talk to, and look through your 
um, play handbook and find out maybe they'll actually let you take time off and go do stuff because it's good for the employees. When the companies give the employees time to give back to the community, they know that you're more likely to stick with that company because your values start to align. And they said, we're not just about making money, we actually care about our local community too. So check and see if you, or if you're evaluating a company to work for, ask them about, do you guys do volunteer work? Do you allow for volunteer work? Or is it always have to be on my own time? And so that can be a real good benefit. So if you have that as an option, please take advantage of that. Um, it doesn't have to be on your own person. So that's some, something you can look for. And I'll, I'll provide all these slides for you guys to have. Um, okay, so then uh, community work from a personal standpoint, volunteer work. Um, I'm part of a group called an Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. That's where Dr. Evans and I met. That's where Amir and I met too. And so part of each annual conference, um, the Sustainable <coughs> Development Division uh, started to do some volunteer projects. So they'd pick a nonprofit and have people come in a little early for the conference and go and volunteer for a couple hours. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and so I joined in the second year of that program and then I've run and coordinated that, that initiative the last couple years. This year we're going to be in New Orleans and so um, we're trying to nail down who that nonprofit's going to be. But we go in and we bring the industrial engineering group, which usually has a lot of good lean background that they get trained on. And we have people go explain their process and we watch the process either at a food bank or at their Habitat for Humanity or at a community garden or a clothing donation processor, uh, another kind of a restore uh, building of furniture that got donated to them. And we just look for more efficient ways to do the work and to give them suggestions and recommendations when we're done. So we're not just there to provide a set of hands, but actually give them more like consulting advice. So leveraging the training and skills we have to some of the nonprofits that don't really have that background or the, the staff haven't gone through that type of a training before. They don't have engineering degrees. They don't have maybe uh, degree um, business management or MBA people in their organizations. They have people who are passionate about the problem and the mission, not necessarily know how to run a business or organization kind of learning on the fly. When I moved to Portland, there was a small group called Lean Portland that had just gotten going. And the founder of that, Matt Horvat, had done some work with a, a nonprofit and he wanted to use this group as a, a networking group to kind of keep in touch with the local community. So um, over the last couple of years, we've been starting to get together as a team and go out and work with local nonprofits on an ongoing basis. So that conference is kind of a one-time deal. Right? You go there, you volunteer, and then you uh, leave. Say, good luck. Um, now we could have some ongoing work. We can train and we can check in on them and follow up with them. So that's been really cool. It, it's good development to have to see new processes and say, where's your data? And they say, we don't have data. So now help us out. You know, uh, so those are new challenges that you don't see maybe in a business setting. So it's a good experience. We've had people come and say, I took some lean training, but my company doesn't do lean. Or I took, I, used to, I took my green belt, but I don't have a project. And so we can try to connect them up and say, well, we're working with this nonprofit and they've got a perfect project for you. This is where you can apply what you learned and maybe get your certification. So we've done some work. We helped redesign a new checkout area for one nonprofit. We helped them establish these welcome stations because that was confusing for people when they walk in, they don't know the rules and how things work. 
So we just set up a simple board, and then they've evolved that and expanded and make it nicer. So that's continuous improvement, right? Just take something, get something out there, and then slowly try to improve over time. Did some 5S activity and cleaned up and organized certain areas. This is just kind of a mess. And so let's have hooks and let's have labels and let's uh, stick to that. Uh, clutter, clean up and declutter this area and free up some space. This is a safety problem too. People tripping over or stepping on things. Or customers uh, actually have a rip in one of my jeans because there is a, uh, a metal pole sticking out of one of the walkways and I caught my uh, jeans on it one time. So that's a safety concern. And, and so just helping them get more organized in their process. This is a uh, uh, electronics recycling um, nonprofit. And so they either repurpose and resell mobile devices and laptops and computers, or they recycle them uh, in a very structured way. So this is the before picture. So if you're a volunteer and you go in there and they say, can you go try to fix that uh, iPhone 6S? Good luck. Um, unless you work there, you might know where all the cords are and where the instructions are, but uh, for a volunteer, it's not a very welcoming uh, space. So they went through and decluttered and organized and actually pulled everything out of their stock and said, what do we actually have here? Uh, so they can actually see what they want. And then the salesperson came and said, these are going pretty well, these are good, can you make as many of those as you can? Instead of just, oh, I like this, I'm going to work on this next. They had some structure to their process finding. And then they're able to build the right thing or repair the right things at the right time that actually would sell. It does no good to repair something and it sits on the shelf. That creates inventory. That's one of the wastes. Um, one of the other places looking at sales. So we break down the data and look at some simple box spots and some simple data and say, where are your sales at? Obviously, Saturdays are good days. Um, and when what are these potential outliers in our data? What does that tell us? Why was it such a good day of sales? What can we learn from the successes? And what happened on this day? Was it a weather problem? Was it a communication issue? Did we open late? Did we not have staffing on that day? Let's understand and look at our data and then look for the anomalies, good and bad. Um, so start to use the data that is available, which is limited. It's not as detailed as I'd like to see. But we'll like I said, I'll take what I can get and we'll See what we can learn from the information we do have available. So here's some of the organizations that I've done some work with as part of this Lean Portland group. Um, a very a lot of donation processing because that's very tangible. It almost looks like a manufacturing process, so people understand that. But there is groups like Oregon Entrepreneurs Network that's all virtual. And they just have five people in an office and they put on events and they have sponsorships um, and they help connect people together, and that's not tangible. But we can do stuff visually and put their projects on a board and events on a, on a piece of paper in their office, and they can see where everything's at. So visualizing the work is a big element. So my goal is to try to replicate this model everywhere so that any nonprofit can go to a local community or group, or volunteer group like that, who have some process experience or consulting knowledge and experience and say, this is the problem and challenge we have. Can somebody help us uh, on a volunteer basis uh, fix that potential issue? 
And so, of course, my background is lean and Six Sigma, so that's kind of my focus around it, but it could be anything, any kind of skill you have. Uh, there are nonprofits that probably need that help. So that's a more rewarding experience than just going in and just being a set of hands and just doing kind of a, um, they need that work done, but also it's better to be uh, to help them make that work better. So I got a long ways to go. We have a couple different groups set up. That's kind of my long-term goal. And that's the reason I put that book together. So uh, just to recap, the volunteer experience, um, it's really how do you best utilize the volunteers for these nonprofits. That's what they can thrive on is the people donating their time. But what you don't want is for them to come into a process that's confusing, disorganized, hard to follow, requires hours of training. So how do we simplify the experience for the volunteers so they get in and are effective and useful right away, they have a better time and they actually come back the second time. So that's a lot of them are struggling with is how do I simplify the work for a volunteer? And it's really trying to push the envelope a little bit to challenge people to say, let's simplify the process so that it's not so confusing. But there, the comment I get a lot is, I don't want to work in a factory, that's why I worked in a nonprofit. And I try to tell them it's not that bad of a place. If you've ever been to a factory, they're not terrible places to work. But I get the idea that they think that it's going to be robotic and structured and, and uh, you know, just work, 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 work all the time. But that's not really uh, the approach. But it's been interesting to hear that comment. Um, so we want them to make an immediate impact when they get there. Um, but the nice thing about this group that we put together, instead of me just going off and working with groups, over time, uh, life happens. People get new jobs. And they're like, I can't volunteer for a while. <laughs> Or my work is overwhelming and I can't make it to that meeting. So having backups has been really effective. So a team of people has been really good. Um, and then donation processes are very different from other traditional processes because you don't get to control what comes to you. In a lot of manufacturing companies, things get donated, or you buy things what you want at the right time. Donations just show up. And so you have to kind of think of ways to apply these concepts where you don't control what you're getting. So that's been kind of an interesting challenge for me and really something I've been learning how the best way to teach and help them with those processes. So just a couple resources. Uh, the, um, I have an online course. I think you sent out the link to that. Just It teaches Lean and Six Sigma with a, um, a tie to the environmental aspect, but just a good overview of some concepts. I have a podcast I put together and different interviews and topics and presentations like this that I give. Uh, I have a, a website here, Lean Six Sigma for Good, which is a lot of examples. Every example I can find that's around government, nonprofits, how to run a zoo more efficiently, uh, medical care in Africa, you know, whatever I can find where there's a social good or a positive impact on the environment, I just put those out there. So you can search for a lot of different things in there if you're looking for an example or you know somebody who works at an organization, say, here I found a government agency applying it to billing, and it's in Seattle, but you'll get the gist of how these concepts can help. Uh, and so a couple different books that are out there you might check out uh, related to environmental work or nonprofit work with Lean and Six Sigma methods. The one that Dr. Evans was talking about was I grabbed people that I knew that had done some volunteer work, and I said, can you write a chapter about your experience? So if someone wants to volunteer, and they can learn from your best practices. So that's something we just released pretty recently. EPA put out some toolkits around lean in the environment and lean and Six Sigma methods. So those are free and available. 
Um, if you can't find the links, EPA website has changed a little bit lately. Uh, so <laughs> I have links for these. I downloaded them just in case. Uh, but they put out some really good stuff 10, 15 years ago. So that's a good opportunity. That's my website. That's our Lean Portland website. Lean Six Sigma for Good website. There's also Lean for NGO, non-governmental non organizations. Check that out too. So recap, uh, Lean and Six Sigma can help for-profit companies reduce their environmental impacts, either directly going after like electricity re reduction or indirectly leaning out their process and, oh, I don't need as many carts anymore. Nonprofits and government agencies need to help need help with Lean and Six Sigma to solve some of those challenges. So if you have that background, those are areas that are desperate need of that help. They just aren't aware of it and they don't have people that can help them with it. And your employer may allow you time to do some of that work. It doesn't all have to be on your own time. Um, but if that's the only way you can volunteer, that's really rewarding and it is a great way to network with people. And it's just, you know, some people don't have the, their, their work balance, they, they're not enjoying their job and some of the nonprofit volunteering work that they do. It really kind of rounds that out a little bit better. Any que uh, questions or I guess we're out of time. So if you um, are not taking the course but you have questions, you can send them to me and I can pass them on. And if you want the slides, just email me and I can pass those on. But I really appreciate everybody coming and some people will see the rest of the day, but um, you're welcome to join us for different parts. I have a schedule, but thank you and thanks Brian for coming and giving us.